Welcome to Series 2 of the Writing Around the Kids podcast, where we talk to a wide range of women writers who kindly share their experiences and tips. This series is jam-packed with brilliant writers from lots of different genres, so there's something for everyone. We hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to Writing Around the Kids. I'm Anna and I'm Sam and today we're absolutely delighted to have Sharon Dougal with us. Hi Sharon. Hello, hi Anna, hi Sam. Hi. hi. Um, so Sharon writes novels and short stories. Her second novel, Should We Fall Behind, 2020 Blue Moose Books, was shortlisted for the Royal Society of Literature's 2021 Encore Award. Selected for Between the Covers, BBC Television's flagship book show and chosen as Prima Magazine Book of the Year. Her debut, The Handsworth Times, was the Morning Star's Fiction Book of the Year 2016 and selected as the Brighton City Reads in 2017. Her short fiction appears in various anthologies, including The Book of Birmingham and Love Bites, fiction inspired by Pete Shelley and Buzzcocks. Hi! Welcome, Sharon. And we're absolutely delighted that you're going to be reading an extract from Should We Fall Behind? Um, So I'm just going to read the blurb from that. Uh, So... Jimmy Noon escapes his difficult life in a small town and finds himself living on the streets in a big city where he meets Betwa, who brings with her, brings with her a chance of real friendship and a glimpse of new hope. Betwa disappears and Jimmy walks across a sprawling metropolis searching for her. He arrives on Shifnal Road on the other side of the river where people from all over the world live side by side, yet some inhabitants are so isolated they seem to have disappeared altogether. Jimmy becomes a catalyst for their lives colliding. Journeys to the streets and to the city are retraced. So too are stories abundant with lost dreams, unrivaled friendships, profound love and stifled grief, each underpinned with the subtle threads of commonality which intersects them all. Should We Fall Behind is about the passing of time, the intrinsic weaves of joy and suffering, love and loss which shape human life along the way. It is about people who have somehow become invisible and how their stories make them visible once more. <gasps> Yay, I love this book so much. Um, oh, so you. over to you, Sharon. And if you could just give a bit of context about where in the book you'll be reading from for the people who are listening. Okay, thank you, Anna. Yes, so I'm going to read from um, about a kind of third into the book and there's, um, there's a, it's a multi-perspective, a multi-perspective narrative. So there's lots of uh, main characters, there's five main characters and I'm going to read a little, little bit from one of those main characters. Um, it's uh, a woman called Rhea Banu and uh, the, the bit I'm going to read is from Rhea Banu's childhood. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll just read that. Brilliant. Okay. Okay. Rhea Banu ran. As soon as she could walk, she ran. At first, she just ran around the tumble-down timber structure where she lived on the west side of Delhi. Then, when she was firmer in her footing, she ran around the small backyard, causing chickens to flap and cluck in her wake. Copper dust plumed around her wherever she went, and when sheets which had taken a whole day to wash were coated in a film of fine orange, her small legs stung from the slapping she received as a result. On her fifth birthday, she ran out of the front door and way past anywhere she'd run before. She wanted to see what was beyond the crisscross of alleyways surrounding her little shack 
and what lay beyond the horizon, which appeared as a thin blue line across the top of the ramshackle jigsaw of dwellings. She ran without losing her breath, skipping over dank gullies, skimming the cart of the tea waller, causing his steel cup to rattle as she passed by, tripping on the loud key from the wobbly vegetable stand, always piled high with mountains of bitter melon and okra. As she ran, she could hear her mother's voice calling her, echoing across tin rooftops, fading away, then becoming louder as she whirled through the maze of streets. When she passed the same tethered goat on the roadside for the third time, she stopped, sat on the curb on the corner of the crossroads, and waited for a sign which would lead her back home. None came, so she began to shout, quietly at first, then more and more urgently. Mama, I'm here, Mama. I want to come home. Her voice crackled and was so inconsequential that not even the goat batted an eyelid. She began to sob. Suddenly, Satish, the boy from the house at the back of her own, was in front of her holding out his hand. Come, Rhea, I will lead you home. The next time she ran, it was an, in an unwavering line around the block, past Satish's house, over and over until she collapsed in tiredness 20 minutes later at her own front door. By the time she was seven, Satish always waited for her, waving and clapping as she whizzed by. When she was 12, he started to blow her kisses. In response, she stuck out her tongue, then hid her face in her hand so he couldn't see her grin. By then, she already knew that she knew the only two things she wanted in life were to run and to marry Satish. When she was 14, they became betrothed. Please arrange it, Pitaji, she begged. Rhea, it's our decision, not yours. A marriage is between families, not just two emotional children. What if the family is not good enough? You are just a young girl. You don't know about something as important as this. She knew her father was teasing her. He himself was, a car was card partners with Satish's father. Everyone knew it was the right match, but her mother still protested. She won't marry while she is a child, not like I did. India needs to look forwards, not backwards. We need to give our girls the gift of childhood instead of burdening them with babies while they're still little more than children themselves. So Rhea's wedding was on her 18th birthday and that night she felt as if she and Satish were running as one, as one person, as if their bodies were, were so inextricably linked they would now always run as one. I'll leave it there. Oh, how wonderful. So beautiful. Yeah. Um, oh, thank you. Yeah, so um, obviously um, in this book you said it's a multi-perspective uh, multi narrative um, yeah. How how do you kind of go about choosing who is, who are going to be the people that are telling the story? Um, well, with this book, you know, it's a really difficult question because I don't feel like I did decide. They chose I feel you. Like they <laughs> yeah, they decided for themselves. So I did. I did think it was going to be um, a single voice, uh, but that that. I didn't feel comfortable writing in that voice because the character who I suppose 
in a, well, he's the, the character who's the catalyst, Jimmy, mm-hmm. um, as you as you mentioned in the blurb. You know, he's quite sort of different from me. <laughs> um, so even though you know, kind of, it was a lot. Of the story is from his perspective. I just wanted other views about him as well because. You know, I'm, I'm just very interested in this idea that there's no one story. You know, what if something happens, um, you know, everyone will see it differently. Um, and that, that was the kind of sense I wanted to get across, that we, we all respond. We can always have very different responses mm-hmm. to the same, the same incident. Um, so I knew quite early on that I wanted these different voices and I knew I wanted them to be a sort of a range of people because... So I could sort of show those range of responses to, to Jimmy arriving in the middle of this um, this street and this, um, I, I was going to say community, but they're quite isolated from each other mm. um, at the beginning of the book. So, um, so yeah, I kind of knew I wanted a child's perspective, although, so one of the characters is Thule, who's six yeah. in the book. Um, although I was a bit scared of writing the child's perspective because actually I don't really like reading um, <laughs> child narrators. So that was a bit of a challenge for myself. And then, you know, I wanted kind of other other kinds of perspectives, a younger woman, an older woman, people from different kind of backgrounds. So, so yeah, so they kind of almost revealed themselves to me as I was, you know, in the very early stages of writing this book. And was but they, that, had, they did change a lot. Was partly because it's quite, you're, the story is very um, theme-driven around the different characters and their and their kind of wants and needs and, and this sense of um, loneliness and isolation that each of your characters displays in different ways. When you were mm. thinking about the story, I know that you were saying that your character's emerged as you were writing but um did you know that did you start with the story of Jimmy or was it a did you have an idea about you know a theme that you wanted to explore at what point did you know that this was your book uh, well I think it was um it was Nigel those things it was that I suppose I was just thinking about my own family quite yeah. a lot and my you know, there's, there, none of my family are in this book, but I was thinking about people who, as it says in the blurb, whose lives kind of uh, seem invisible. You know, people, yeah. that, this idea that we kind of value certain types of lives over other types of lives in, in the attention we give them. So, and, you know, and for me, I was kind of thinking about my my mum, who is an immigrant, and, you know, my, my sort of wider family, but also some of my friends whose families have come from elsewhere and, you know, how these are really, these kind of ordinary stories in lots of ways are really extraordinary, but we just don't hear them. And it also got me thinking about Jimmy um, as a character because Jimmy is homeless um, and and sort of takes up residence in in a car at the back of these people's houses. Um, And Jimmy, in a way, was a catalyst as well because... Um, when I a long time ago, when I was living in London, somebody uh, crashed into my car and wrote it off, and you know we were waiting for it to get towed away. It was taking ages, and a young man started living in it, and he was very, very different um, to Jimmy because he was a young Somalian refugee um, who didn't have any English, 
Um, but you know, I I kind of and he did, you know, we tried to help him a little bit, find posting and give him a bit of food and stuff. But and then he just disappeared after a couple of days or two or three days. And you know, I often wondered about him and his story and the people who would be missing him and what he might have left behind and why. And I think his story or the idea of who he was and, um, you know, what his background was and, you know, who his parents were, who his mm. people who would have loved him and lost him. Um, and thinking about my own family as well. And I think those things became merged yeah. somewhere. And that's how this story was born. Which you, is a very long answer to it. No, it's, it's, <laughs> it's really interesting. Yeah, it's brilliant. Because I think, you, you know, you write character so very well. Such com- oh, believable, well-rounded, flawed, fantastic characters. Um, and I know that you say that you don't, you know, you felt a, a little bit nervous about writing um, from a child's perspective. But again, it was done yeah. ex- extremely well, so beautifully. How much research did you have to do? Because they're quite, all quite different characters. How much research yeah. did you do to then, or did you start writing it and then go back and kind of fact check or research? And how, what did, what did well, that process look like? Well, um, I mean, I did do research, um, but, I, you know, a lot of it was, it sounds a bit naff, but, you know, kind of lifelong research. Yeah. So obviously with the, the child's perspective, I, you know, I've got three kids of my own and I had to sort of, kind of take myself back to when they were that age. And um, my sister's a head teacher or she was a head teacher in a, in a primary school. Um, and so I was kind of thinking about the kids in her school as well. And I've got a very big extended family. So my kids have got 21 first cousins. So I've got a lot of experience around <laughs> young kids and the way they behave and the things they say. Um, but in terms of some of the other research, you know, there, there was quite a lot of research. Uh, but I, I did do it along the way, yeah. mostly, um, except that um, in terms of the, the character who was homeless, um, I didn't go out doing the research. I'd already had a bit of experience volunteering in, um, you know, um, cold weather shelters Mm, and uh, working with, um, you know, people from um, uh, people who'd been displaced in one way or another, sort of refugees and and people who were homeless. Um, So I kind of brought that experience, which wasn't gathered on purpose for this book, but, you know, (laughs) I sort of fed into this book. Um, But yeah, there were, there was also, there were still lots of things to check because one of the characters is um, Cypriot, so, you know, he's very loosely based on um, my one of my best friend's dads who, I, you know, I grew up around mm-hmm. and, and and you know, I, there was something about me wanting to show the similarities between people, even though they're from very different backgrounds, yeah. um, and especially the immigrant experience. Yeah. So, but there were things I had to kind of just double check with her, actually, and she, my friend she lives in America now but I had to keep sending her little bits saying would this does this sound right is this the right way to say these you know I I, I don't speak Greek but you know is this the right sentence structure or whatever so yeah so there was lots of things like that and in terms of kind of the actual um, sort of the nuts and bolts of that of writing um, all these different perspectives did you Hmm. kind of write you know one one voice in its entirety and then do another one or were you kind of 
uh, switching between yeah. them during the writing I mean, it's process. Interesting. Yeah, it is interesting because um, I'm working on my third novel and I thought that was going to be a singular voice and somehow it's three different voices. <laughs> and, and I've been trying to think how I did it. We should be, we fall behind because I'm kind of struggling with this new novel um, you know, on how to do that myself. But I think we should we fall behind, it, you know, because there was um, a, an overarching forward narrative. You know, there was Jimmy is searching for Betwa, who is lost, but and is coming across these different characters. Um, you know, so there, there's a there is a kind of forward thing. I don't know what the yes. right terminology is, um, and so. Um, I kind of had that in my mind, but actually, I, I you know, if, to, I mean, to put it bluntly, if I got a bit fed up with one character, I just yes. kind of wrote one of <laughs> yes. the other ones and then kind of pieced it all together. There's something um, extremely but, yeah. refreshing about that, I think, as well, that, that you can just kind of, like, mind leap into somebody else and think, right, That's uh, what yeah. what I like about it. Yeah. yeah. Keeps yeah, it you know, I really... Yeah, absolutely. Well, it makes it interesting for me as a writer. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I did worry that um, readers would get a bit lost with all the different voices and characters. And, um, you know, there's quite a lot of backstory, but that's uh, for each of the characters. But obviously, that's essential, you know, to be able to show their journeys, mm. to kind of show how they've come to be where they are and um, in what that means to them. Um, but, you know, it, it doesn't seem to have confused people too much. So, no, I think yeah. they all have such um, strong voices in their own rights that they're extremely identifiable as the different characters. Um, I completely appreciate the um, the get yourself tied in knots with all the different characters, though, as well, because um, you and I, Sharon, we're in the uh, same uh, writing group together, aren't we? And, we are. Yeah, um, we are. Yeah. I always write uh, books that seem to have several different characters, and by the end of it, I yeah. just think, right, the next one is going to have one story, <laughs> one timeline. I know. But um, there's something quite, um, yeah, something quite exotic and appealing about having having lots of different perspectives. Yeah, I mean, all writers write in different ways, don't they? I mean, some, you know, some people say, I don't know, you know, say you're making it too complex or too difficult for yourself or, or whatever. But then I just think writing, as, you know, from one person's perspective and writing in the first person, I've just found, I just can't do it. Mm. I've realized. I find that far more difficult to really absorb y- yourself or immerse yourself in one person and carry that one person around for months and possibly years as writers do so you know I quite like having lots of them so you talk you're yeah. saying about writing from different perspectives and this kind of like forward motion with their stories but um the practicality of what that looks like to you as a writer do you how much do you do in terms of the planning beforehand um are you like yeah. a, a spreadsheet user or a post-it note round desk sticker upper or do you start writing it um and then just see where you go um i think well i'm definitely not a spreadsheet user mm-hmm. and um i'm i do write little notes to myself but not in any kind of um oh, what's the word you know i i'm just not a planner i yeah. just can't plan so uh, what I've realised, though, you know, because I think it's probably a bit disingenuous to say, oh, I don't plan at all, I just write the story straight off. What I've realised is that my first draft 
is a really elaborate plan. plan. Yeah. So that's where I'm working out all the ideas, working out who the characters are, working out what their voices are, how they relate to each other, and what the story is, essentially. So with all three of the books, so, you know, the two that I've published and the one I'm working on now, I've got a real sort of, you know, I have a strong idea of where I'm starting from, I've realised. And I kind of know where I want to end up, but I don't know the different paths I'm going to take, you know, the journey in between to get from that start to that ending. Um, And I think that first draft, which really is, you know, as people say, a a messy first draft Mm. or, you know, whatever other words, expletives you want (laughs) to use about that first draft. Um, You know, and for me is that is exactly what it is, a really, really messy kind of getting down the ideas. Um, With this third book that, um, you know, I've just kind of written 80,000 words and I'm still not sure what my story is. (laughs) So I'm still working it out. you know, so I think so I that think, sounds yes, like quite a, that's, plan. that yeah. sounds quite reassuring for uh, people yeah. that are kind of starting out. That <laughs> even three books yeah. in, it can still feel like that. I think it feels like that with every book, and I'm sure you probably agree. <laughs> um, you know, every book is like a first book in some ways. Mm. Although you know, you have kind of honed skills, and you sort of know where you, you kind of get a sense of how you work yourself you know I'm only just beginning with this third book when people say what's your process I'm only just getting to the point where I say well actually this is my process I write a really long really messy first draft and then I edit 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 hone 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 rewrite rewrite you know and um, I just remember reading, um, you know, George Saunders, the um, the writer. He's brilliant. He writes brilliantly about writing. Mm. I don't get on that well with his fiction, <laughs> but I really love his writing about writing. And he says that writers, um, there's no such thing as writer's block. It's a fear of revision. Mm. And I've sort of really taken that on board because I just thought, you know, no one is going to write a perfect first or second or third draft. And this first draft is where you try everything out, really, um, and see what works and see what doesn't work. And uh, nobody has to see it except you, uh, just as nobody has to see your spreadsheet or you posted it. In the yeah. So, and yeah, um, yeah. how, in kind of day to day, do you, how do you measure whether you've had a good writing day? Is Do you think about um, word count or scenes or, you know? Yeah, I mean, time. I don't like. I, I again, I think I'd be lying if I said I didn't think about word count. I'd rather not think about word count as a measure, mm. but we've got to, we've got to have something. We've got to have yeah. some way of kind of some milestones. Yeah. So, um, so I do, you know, set myself word count kind of goals. Yeah. But in a way, though, I mean, I've started reducing those. <laughs> quite a bit because otherwise I just feel like a failure at the end of the day so sort of thinking I'm going to write two and a half thousand words today you know I think if I've written a thousand words that's a real achievement some days I can only write 300 or 200 or one word (laughs) and do you have like a plan though for your like if it isn't word count is it do you what does your writing week look like or your writing day do you yeah. sit down at a desk for the full day? Do you have different days that you're writing? Yeah. What, what does the day look like for you? Yeah, so I think um, in terms of success, 
success as a you know or feeling like I've succe- I am succeeding as a writer. Yeah. You know, if I've spent three days in the week writing um, for however long. Um, then I feel like, okay, that's a really good week. Yeah. Because um, I've got a day job and, you know, we all have other commitments and, you know, my kids aren't young anymore. They're not at home anymore, but they do come back and forth from university or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so that, and there are lots of other family commitments like elder, you know, older parents mm, yeah. and all of that stuff. Um, but what I tend to do is um, two to three days a week, I will go... I, I just can't seem to work in my own house, even yes. though I now have space. Now my kids are not here all the time. Um, so I go to a local library, Hove Library or one of the other libraries, and I'll get there at sort of nine or ten in the morning, and I'll stay there till four or five in the afternoon. So as if it's a work day, and that kind of helps me with the discipline. And also it stops people around me sort of thinking I'm just there and I can put the washing on or yes. you know, get the shopping in or not that they do. It's just my perception of it. Um, and I, I make sure I don't look at any day job stuff on those days. Yeah. And, and yeah, so I kind of almost treat it like I'm going to work for the day. Um, and that really helps me. You know, again, I know that doesn't work, work for everybody for whatever reasons. Um, but yeah, kind of just going, and I'll go, you know, at least one day of the weekend if I'm around, yeah. in, you know, if I'm able to, and then two days midweek. So yeah, I think it's and having... I feel very lucky that I can work. You know, my day job is is part time, and I can do that. But it's taken me a long time to get to that yeah. point yeah. as well. I think having yeah. a different space that's not your home is, um, if it's possible as a writer to do that, it is such an important thing to do I go to this cafe just down the road from us and I think they're very kind because I think I've very much kind of like abused their kindness of having a coffee (laughs) that is eked out for the best part of seven hours on some days but um but just being in a different space where it's you know your your brain's not looking around and finding menial tasks to do yeah and I know not everybody can do that in the way I do it because I've got kids at home and you know uh, but when my kids were at home and I was writing the first two novels you know the kids were all around mm. here you know I would go to the library within the school day yeah and you know obviously I'd have to leave at three or whatever to go and pick up my daughter you know until they got to secondary school um so you know there's ways of doing it making it fit in your life but then you know I used to once when they were much younger once they were in bed I'd try and do a couple of hours but I'm not great at working in the evenings after a long day so did you um, always know know that you were going to write no I mean I always loved books and reading um but I I know it sounds a bit daft but I didn't really think um that normal ordinary people mm. could do things like write books <laughs> you know it just wasn't the, the environment of the culture I was brought up in that yeah. isn't to say that um you know there weren't really books in my house but that but what there was was lots of sitting around storytelling yeah. you know which I've only realized in retrospect that my family my you know my mum, she still tells lots of stories you know without that kind of um 
realizing she's doing it and uh, you know and I think being I was brought up around a lot of that people talking about their lives at home or you know their childhoods mm. or telling stories about um kind of you know Indian mythology or you know, that that kind of thing so um so I always loved stories and I and, and when I discovered books you know they were a real escape as yeah. well because um, I'm from a big sort of family and you know we had a small house basically and it was where you could find a bit of space mm. mental space was kind of throwing yourself into a book so uh, but it wasn't until much later on I realized that this was maybe something I really wanted to do and could do yeah well I'm so pleased yeah, you definitely. did Sharon because you're you write yeah, extraordinary you. beautiful engaging books um we're just coming to the end I can't believe how quickly this has gone by but um our final question to you is so a lot of um our listeners may be new to writing or um yeah starting out on their writing careers and what advice would you give to a writer who is just starting out um I would say, you know, I think there's a lot, there's always a lot of advice about do a bit every day or get up at three o'clock in the morning when you, you know, uh, none of that. <laughs> I would just say, <laughs> uh, um, maybe don't drink too much wine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ooh, tough advice. <laughs> we all need a little bit. We all <laughs> need a little bit. No, I mean, I would say basically don't be too hard on yourself. Try and find a way to fit writing into your life. So, um, you know, so it's still a joy yeah. and that, you, you know, you're going to it um, in, you know, with that head on, that this is something that you can do that's for you. Um, it, it's not, you know, it, don't punish yourself if you don't write the 2000 words a day or you don't manage to write for five days in a row or whatever. But I would say, but do, you know, just do it. Yeah. Find a way to do it because we all talk about it and we all say we want to be writers or, you know, we'd like to give it a go. But yeah, just don't let fear get in the way. Just do it. You don't need to show anyone anything until you're ready to. Um, So yeah, just, just get on with it. Don't, don't get to the point where you're just thinking, I should have, you know, I should have done that and I never did it. Yeah. That's really beautiful advice and really um, gentle. Yeah. I really like that. Um, nurture yourselves right (laughs) and and also remember that I just remember somebody saying to me you know when I was particularly busy with the kids and you know and I was trying to do lots of things and they said like do a list of everything you're doing in the day and so I did this list and then um they went through it with me and everything that was domestic like washing up you know dusting they crossed out and they said you know housework doesn't always need to be done yeah. there are things you can leave you can do the essentials but you don't need to like do everything all the time and be yeah. everything to everyone all the time you know just remember to be the thing you want to be for yourself as well that's so, lovely yeah, there you go lovely lovely um so if people want to um find out more on more from you are you uh, do you have social media um, I do. I'm not. I don't use it very much at the moment. <laughs> I have to say. I've got a website uh, which I do need to update a little bit. But you can um, you can have a look at that. It's SharonDougal.com, D-U-G-G-A-L. Um, and I am on Twitter as Ms. 
sdougal. Um, and I am on Instagram, but I've only ever posted three things. And my daughter <laughs> said to me, my t- three things in two years. And my daughter said to me, I really think you should delete your account until you learn how to take photos. Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> so we won't follow you on that, but Twitter possibly. But and... Well, you can. You <laughs> know, I might start posting on it when, when she gives me permission. <laughs> well, Sharon, but thank you Twitter, so much. And I'm on Facebook, yeah. Oh, oh well, it's a pleasure. Thank, thank you for asking me. It's so it's really nice to talk to you both and it's a great project that you're doing oh thank, thank you, you Sharon we've, we've thoroughly enjoyed talking to you thanks again alright take care bye. you too bye 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 we hope you found some inspiration in that chat For more writing resources, go to our website, writingaroundthekids.co.uk, where you'll find tips, prompts and links to our social media. And don't forget, you can still catch up on all the fab episodes from Series 1.